Today we'd like to go to a very familiar passage, and yet one that has a depth of meaning. John chapter 3, we begin reading with verse 14. And like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For, or because, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, because God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Because every one who does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he who does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made apparent that they are done in God." Now, we can probably all say John 3.16 by memory. It begins with the word for or because. Do you remember why that word is there? Have you ever thought about that? Because God so loved the world. Why is that there? Well, the answer is back in verses 14 and 15. And that's what we want to concentrate on today. As Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus himself made a comparison with what happened in the Old Testament with the snake in the desert and himself who would be lifted up on the cross. What a beautiful type this is. What beautiful comparisons we find from this Old Testament incident which prophetically point to what Jesus did on the cross for us. We sang about that, didn't we? Let's go back to the Old Testament and see what he's referring to. Back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. We begin with verse 4. This is what Jesus is comparing with what he's going to endure later on. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was very discouraged because of the way. And the people spoke against God 
and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? Because there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes, can't stand this light bread, meaning the manna. And the Lord sent fiery snakes among the people, and they bit the people, and many people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Hard words to say. Now they admitted it. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the snakes from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, here's an amazing thing he told him. You make a fiery snake and put it up on a pole and it shall happen that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a snake out of brass and he put it on a pole and it happened that if a snake had bitten any man, when he looked at the snake of brass, he lived. That's what Jesus used as the comparison of what was going to happen to him. He would die on the cross. I remember when I was in seminary, I was a bit concerned. Why would God take a snake to represent his son? Ever thought of that? Snake is a symbol of evil, a symbol of something very bad, symbol of sin. Why would God take his holy son, who was without sin, and have him be represented in the Old Testament, as Jesus said, by a snake? And then I thought of a scripture which I believe God put in my mind. You might like to turn to that scripture. I believe it gives us a good answer to the question. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That part that says the son is in the likeness of sinful flesh. The brass snake did not have venom in it. Jesus did not have the poison, the venom of sin in himself. In fact, several times in the New Testament, we're told that he did not sin. You see, Jesus is the holy son of God. He's in the likeness of we sinners, of us sinners, but without sin. 
the brass snake was in the likeness of the poisonous live snakes, but without the venom. That helped me to realize a good reason. Jesus was not sinful. He did not have the venom of sin, and yet he was in the likeness of those who do, namely the rest of the world. But I believe there's something else that's involved here too. Go over a book or two to 2 Corinthians. In chapter 5, we find these words in verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Talking about Jesus, it says, For he, that is God, has made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. That highlights his sinlessness. But he was made sin for us, it tells us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus died on the cross, you see, he took the full punishment of sin, the sin of the world, upon himself. And so I believe we find this pictured here as well. Sin is pictured, but Jesus was holy, but he voluntarily prayed, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the Father's will, the eternal plan of God, of salvation, that Jesus, his only son, his only begotten son, in fact, would die on the cross for our sins. So he became sin, as it were. He was treated as if he were the sin of the world. He took the punishment, the sentence, which sin required. And so I believe that's pictured there in the snake and what is involved here. He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, pictured in the snake, a symbol of evil. I mentioned, and it tells us back there in Numbers chapter 21, that the snake was fiery in color. The live snakes were apparently a yellowish bronze color. That's a beautiful picture, too, of something. When you think of fire, and we've been thinking a lot about fire these days, in the scripture, you normally think of judgment. And so the fact that these live snakes were fiery in color points to judgment. And of course, it was a judgment upon the Israelites. They spoke against God, and they spoke against God's spokesman and leader, Moses. And they were complaining about what God had provided for them the manna, this bread. When they first began to eat it, it tasted like wafers and honey. Later, it got so they could hardly stand it. And so they were complaining. When I was engaged to June and we were to be married in two or three days, I came down 
with mumps. And I discovered even if I ate jello, it was severe pain. So what I did for two weeks was drink milk, morning, noon, and night. That was my meal for two weeks that I stayed in bed. I liked milk at the beginning, but at the end I could hardly stand it. I guess something sort of like that happened to them. Tasted good, but eventually they got so they could hardly stand it. And yet God had given it to them. And he'd given it to me, I believe. And yes, we did finally get married, but we had to postpone it for a while. So the snakes alive were fiery in color. The snake made by Moses at God's command was fiery in color. It says in back in Numbers 21, he made it out of bronze. We think of bronze as being a fiery type color. Back then, I believe bronze was made out of copper and tin. In our day and age, it's pretty well made out of copper and zinc. But at any rate, it was a fiery appearance, picturing judgment. The last verse of Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, speaks about everlasting punishment. That we find pictured in the fieriness of the bronze snake and the living snakes. Now, what did Moses have to do to this bronze snake that he was told to make? And by the way, you ever thought about this? How about the second commandment about not making images? And yet Moses was told to do it. And how about some of the decoration of the tabernacle and later of the temple concerning images? Well, actually, when you read the second commandment of the Ten Commandments very carefully, as I understand it, you're not to make it and worship it. That was the problem. They would make these images, these idols, and they would worship them. So I don't think this was a violation of that command at all. The command is don't make them and worship them. And so he had to take this brass snake and he had to lift it up where everybody could see it. Jesus was lifted up, was he not? Lifted between earth and heaven. Lifted up on a cross, a pole, a tree made out of wood. And the New Testament mentions this fact, that it was a tree. A good student of the Old Testament would no doubt immediately think of what it says about a tree in Deuteronomy chapter 21. In Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 22, 
If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he should be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall in any wise bury him that very day, because he who is hanged is cursed by God, and so on. And so as we think of that, we see that he was lifted up on a tree. God's curse came upon him. If you question that, read Galatians chapter 3. It uses that word, curse. That's what fell upon Jesus, the curse of sin. What we deserved, not what he deserved. So he had to be lifted up. And what a beautiful picture that was of Moses lifting up the pole and putting a fiery, a bronze snake upon it. Beautiful picture of the cross, the tree, and of the curse, the punishment that came upon the Lord, not for anything he had done, but for what we have done. Now consider the Israelite. When he was bitten, he may have become bitter. But what about this bitten Israelite? What's he represent? Well, it's quite obvious. <laughs> He'd done wrong, hadn't he? Spoken against God and against Moses. Criticized the manna that God graciously provided. He was a sinner. So the Israelite who was bitten, and there were no doubt many of them, and it says a lot of them died, but some of them were still alive. They'd been bitten. They had the poison of venom in them. The bitten Israelite represents what? <laughs> we sinners who have the venom of sin within us, who have a fallen nature. That's a dreaded S word that our culture today likes to avoid, the sin word. The Bible faces reality in the face. <laughs> we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, it tells us in Romans 3.23. On into chapter 6 of Romans, uh, verse 26, I believe it is, 23 again. It says, the wages of sin is death. And so we're all sinners. We're all under the condemnation of death. We see this pictured, therefore, in the bitten Israelite. He's like we are. How could he get well? How could he be healed? He couldn't call 911. They didn't have such a thing. And even if they could, they didn't have anything then that they could cure that kind of snake bite with. Be like bitten by a deadly cobra, a very poisonous viper. And the punishment is very clearly given. The wages of sin is death. It earns that. It deserves that. It must be paid. Wages of sin is death. So, okay, 
Jesus voluntarily took that punishment, that sentence, those wages that we had earned, which he had never earned at all. And he took it upon himself. Now, remembering all that, what the bitten Israelite have to do? Yeah, he had to look. <laughs> he had to look at the snake, the bronze snake. That snake lifted up on the tree, on the pole, on the wood. Does it tell us he had to repent? Didn't he mention that? If he really looked, though, that would indicate a change of heart. Could he offer to God all the good deeds he had done and plead that God ought to forgive him because he'd been such a good person in other ways? Maybe he'd help people, maybe been a good dad, maybe she'd been a good lady, good mother. Maybe he'd helped a lot of people and given them things they needed, such as food or whatever. Would that have saved him? No. What was the one thing the bitten Israelite had to do? As we said, look. Look at the brass snake. Couldn't earn it didn't deserve it, a matter of grace, a gift, just look. In Miracle of Miracles, when the bitten Israelite would do that, hopefully there were none so foolish as who would refuse to look, when the bitten Israelite did look at the metal snake, what happened? What God said would happen. God's promise would be completed. They would be cured. They would live. Otherwise, it was certain death. Can you imagine if you were that bitten Israelite? And finally, the word went out, just look at the brass snake and you'll live, you'll be healed. And you did that. And immediately, you knew in your body that you'd been healed. Like the lady with the issue of blood, she knew in herself that she had been healed. And so they would have known right away, I'm sure, that God's hand of healing had made them live and they would not die. Look and live. So what does the looking then represent? It represents faith, doesn't it? Just looking off to Jesus. Nothing we can do to earn it. We deserve something far worse. It's a gift. Look and live. What a beautiful illustration of faith. Not a matter of works, not a matter of morality, not a matter of education, social standing, or whatever. Just look. And so faith is beautifully pictured. Grace is beautifully pictured. So they were to look and they would be healed. They would live. They would not die.
right then. That was physical life, a healing physically. Their life would be prolonged, perhaps for several years. They would live, but it pointed to a greater living, a greater life. Whoever believes in the Son would have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. And so the healing, the extension of physical life represented something far greater. It represented eternal life, a relationship between ourselves and God, knowing Christ the Son and God the Father, as it says in John 17, 3. What a beautiful thing is pictured here. By the physical, healing is pictured spiritual healing. Eternal life that will never end. Eternal life with all caps, L-I-F-E. Real life, true life, life that goes beyond this life. Life that is true and meaningful. I wonder if some of the folks who've had their houses burned down have realized the futility of life and how we should not really grasp physical things and hang on to them, but instead we should grasp the Lord. We should look to Him in faith and live for the things that last for eternity. Physically, they were healed. Spiritually, as we look to God, as we look to Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin, who was cursed on our behalf, we live, we live spiritually and eternally forever. On your outlines that you got in the bulletins, you'll notice it mentions C.H. Spurgeon. How many of you know who Charles Haddon Spurgeon was? Yeah, two or three hands at least. Probably others of you have heard of him as well. He was a very powerful preacher in London the last half of the 1800s. They built a huge metropolitan tabernacle for him. I understand the cab drivers would ask the people, over the river to Charlie, Charles Spurgeon. As a young man, as a teenager, he'd studied the Bible some, He had a sense of being a sinner. That in itself is a blessing because if we know we're sick, we might go to a doctor. If we know we're a sinner, we might go to Jesus and to God for healing. Well, as a young teenager, he came to very strongly realize that he was a sinner in God's sight. And it was overwhelming to him. 
And he started going to a whole bunch of different churches to try to somehow get relief from this guilt. And somehow, it didn't seem to help. It may have been his own self-sufficiency that he thought he had to work it out, that he thought he himself had to earn his own salvation. But one day as he was heading toward a certain church, there was a huge storm, maybe a bit like the one that's hitting Louisiana. Big snowstorm. And it was so bad that he decided not to go to the church where he had planned to go, but instead he went down kind of an alley-like street and there was a little, I guess, storefront kind of a church. It happened to be a primitive Methodist church. And he went on in there and there were just a handful of people, maybe a dozen or so. He ended up sitting under the balcony. The pastor didn't even show up. Maybe he was confined to his home because of the severe storm. But one of the men was willing to pinch hit, as it were. A man that was quite uneducated, but he got up there to preach. Well, his text was way back in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, because I am God and there is no else, none else. Look to me and be saved. I'm God, there is no other. And so this uneducated layman hadn't had the benefit of seminary, anything like that. He got up there and he started talking about this verse. And he managed to talk for about 10 minutes then it seems like he'd got to the end of his tether, didn't know what else to say. But he saw a young Spurgeon back there under the balcony. He looked very unhappy. And then some violent personal dealing happened. Not the kind I think that you would learn in an evangelism class. But he spoke to the young man, stood out as, of course, a visitor. He said, young man, you look miserable. Something like this, he told him. And you'll be miserable in life, and you'll be miserable in death if you don't look to the Lord Jesus. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look. Look! Now, some people, that would have really turned them off. (laughs) Imagine you being singled out and being yelled at like that. 
But here was a young man whose heart was ripe for the truth. Here was a young man who wanted God, who wanted forgiveness, who wanted assurance. And it came right then. He could have leaped up and sung with the angels. Because what did he do? He did what the preacher said. He looked to Jesus Christ. And so that's what we learn from our primary scripture today. What we learn from John chapter 3. What we learn from Isaiah 45, 22. We are saved and forgiven and receive the gift of eternal healing and eternal life by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in him. And I noticed one of the songs at one point seemed to be maybe taken from the Amplified New Testament, talked about clinging to him and so on, giving sort of synonyms of what it means to have faith, to look. And so Spurgeon became a Christian, and God used him in a mighty and marvelous way. But he didn't forget the things which had happened to him. But he shared that salvation, that healing of God, with everyone who would come. And I understand a lot of the power was not in the sanctuary, as it were, that he had over a hundred people in the basement praying for what was going on there. He knew the importance of prayer, and so did his people. And so they would pray. And it's important when we come to church that we be in a prayerful attitude, that we pray for the preacher and the word of God and for ourselves, that the word of God might have free course that it might gain ground and be glorified in our lives. Now you know why the word for or because is the beginning of John 3.16. The background is the fiery snake in the desert, the bitten Israelite and then the healed, the gloriously healed Israelite, pointing to us who need that healing, who accept that healing, who receive fellowship with God, who have purpose in life, who have God living in us, who have the Holy Spirit helping us. Look and live. Lord, we thank you for your marvelous and wondrously given salvation. We thank you that we can put our trust in you, that we can look away from ourselves and we can live spiritually and forever. Pray that we would do that at this moment, that we would renew this have we done it in the past? That we would like the bitten Israelite, hopeless situation, lost, 
dying, that we would look to Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Thank you for healing. Thank you for daily guidance and help. Thank you for purpose and fellowship. And bless your work. And may your work progress through us. Thank you so much. And before we close, we would also pray for situation in Afghanistan, the situation with the fires, situation with the storms. May you be reaching out your loving hand and healing hand and helping those in need. And especially you'd be reaching out for those who are in need spiritually. In Jesus' name we thank you and give you praise. Amen.